Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for The View from the Opposition, and this week it comes from Jack Tanner of the Bournemouth Echo, of course, Newcastle. Welcome, Bournemouth, to St. James's Park on Saturday. Jack, thank you very much for popping on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, are you excited for this weekend? It's going to be a long journey, first and foremost, for you guys, travelling all that way. And I suspect you'll want to go back with all three points. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it's the first game I'm going to be missing. There's three of us and only two that will be going. Um, it's the one that I'm kind of grateful to be missing just in terms of distance. Um, but yeah, it, it's a bit hard to say what the expectations are, but three points would be splendid. Is it likely? Perhaps not. Yeah, I always ask the uh, the opposition writers what the expectation is from their camp. So like you say, three points would be welcome, but looking at everything that's going on, the way Newcastle um are playing even though they're not they're not necessarily winning games and you know I know uh, Bournemouth had a good result against Nottingham Forest and then their last game but is there expectation that they're kind of are they, do, you, do you think Bournemouth look at this game as underdogs or do you think they go in kind of on on level with Newcastle how are they looking at this uh probably from a fan point of view it'll be as underdogs the players wouldn't really pen themselves like that I think the mentality you have to have as players in the Premier League, apart from when you're not playing the top teams, you really have to go for it. I believe you can win, um, because otherwise you're just already just not a level playing field. Uh, but like, even at Forest, it looked like they were going to get nothing at half-time. The first-half performance was <clears throat> disjointed. Not clueless, but it just never really felt like they were going to score. Uh, that's been the main criticism, I would say, in the past few games, both in the park and O'Neill. Uh I think they were averaging like a shot on target per game. Uh, the Premier League doesn't really cut it, especially if you see the amount of goals they have so far. Um, but the second half performance of Forest, I think, has really given a lot of uh, optimism and enthusiasm around the fan base again, even though things are a bit weird at the moment, of course, without having a, a head coach. You mentioned that, that Forest game. What was the difference, do you think? Why were there two such contrasting performances in the first half, second half. What, what was the difference? It's hard to say. Even the players and the head coach kind of said that they switched system um, and they have done that all season pretty much. Uh, from last year under Scott Parker, they played this kind of uh, four-man defence with one striker. And then they kind of changed this year to playing three at the back with wing backs with more three forwards kind of operating. And they've switched between that during games, between games, and they switched from four at the back to three at the back. And it kind of gave them a bit more impetus, kind of gave them a bit more space, and they looked a lot better. But even though they had a lot more attacking intent the first 10 minutes after the break, you kind of were feeling that it would take a bit of magic to get back into the game. And luckily, they got that pretty quickly through Philip Billing, fantastic strike from him. And then Dom Slanky equalised on a bad strike, I an acrobatic finish. So I think it was just a, a perfect combination of an improvement in 
intent. They looked a lot more comfortable and confident going forward, but they needed a spark for that to then translate to getting three points in the game. Um, I think it also helps Forrest, of course, a lot gets said about how many players they've brought in. I think they're kind of like Bournemouth, they're in this weird transitional stage at the moment where uh, they can see two goals in relatively quick succession, their lead goes. Uh, I think they kind of panicked uh, and Bournemouth took advantage of that, really. Can you see Bournemouth taking how they finished the game against Forest and starting that game, starting in the same fashion against Newcastle on Saturday? Or do you fear that what might happen is there's a, there's a good chance they might slip into to the Bournemouth of old, and i.e. what we saw in the first half against, against Forest? Yeah, uh, so Gary O'Neill's first game, he, pretty much the same. First 60 minutes, he played with four at the back. Uh, it didn't look great, and he switched three at the back. And then Wolves completely dominated. They looked um, even worse, really get the ball forward. Uh, and they were too open at the back. So I think it's very much a case of does he stick or twist? Looking at New, uh, Newcastle's formation, I don't really think three at the back fits. I think it was a case of they were able to match Forrest's formation um, and that caused a lot of favourable matchups. I don't really think you can do that against Newcastle. Um, so, yeah, it is a question. Because like I said, it's kind of a question that predates O'Neill. Parker was still moving and ahhing over if he wanted to fully commit to it. He changed at times. Even uh, the League Cup game when he was still in charge, the penultimate game in charge, he switched back to it. So it is definitely a question for whoever comes in. And it's a question that will be asked at the moment. I'm willing to think that they'll go again, four at the back, see how it goes, and then make any any changes. But of course, that carries their own risks. At Newcastle, are, if they get a comfortable lead like Forest did, we can't really see them throwing it away in the same fashion. You mentioned there Scott Parker. Obviously, our listeners will be well aware he he left after the, the thumping by Liverpool. But it also sounds like, in what you've just said, that although he's gone, some of the same old problems are, are, are still there. I mean, have there been any glaring differences from what was going on under Parker to what's been going on under the, the, the caretaker manager? Not massively. I think there's... The fans are happier because it just seems to be the overall message and togetherness seems stronger. Um, but the, the players, when you speak to them, and like their body language and the way they play, there's a little bit more confidence there for, for sure. But they're turning around. Um, we spoke to Adam Smith uh, during the week and he kind of turned around and said, you can't really pinpoint what's changed. I think it, it's just this really weird storm of... Of course, Parker, his last three games, Premier League games in charge, he had City away, Arsenal at home, and then Liverpool away, not really expecting to get anything from it. So they have this high of a quite comfortable and good-looking win against Villa opening day to some really big lows. And of course, losing 9-0, it's never a good thing. Um, and the performance against Liverpool wasn't brilliant. And like I said, that issue of not being able to score goals, that they never looked like threatening either Liverpool or City, really. And even Arsenal at home, that was the one that really caused concern amongst the fans. Um, but yeah, it, there's just a real sense of, like I said, a transition, trying to decide what is the best formation, the best system to get the most out of these players, because they've got 25 players at the club but they aren't really all the same type of player that all mesh well together. Someone like Kiefer Moore, who I thought performed really well first 
few games a season in a completely different role than he was last season. He doesn't fit into that kind of possession uh, based style of play that Bournemouth are kind of more known for. And uh, again, Adam Smith said he, he prefers a possession based system. Uh, and then you've got players like Siriki Dambele, who hasn't really had a look in this season. He's been kept around. He's quite a transitional player, likes to get on the ball and attack into spaces. So it's kind of going to be difficult for, for an incoming manager to, to decide exactly how to set those players up. And I think that also feeds back into that issue of trying to pick the best formation. Just no one really knows at the moment. Does this feel like it might be Gary O'Neill's last game in charge, his last chance to maybe impress the, the Bournemouth board? And if so, I guess, I mean, I guess every game that he's in charge of is important. He said he just wants to do the best for the club. But if it is kind of maybe his last his last game, his last chance, you expect they'll really want to go out on a high against Newcastle. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Um, the club doesn't seem to be in a massive rush to bring someone in. Uh, the, the news yesterday broke that the club is back on the market as well, which is an interesting thing. Um, not really much going on there. It's just the fact that the club is up for sale. According to reports, the club haven't confirmed that. But um, there's no massive rush, so I wouldn't be surprised to see O'Neill still there after the international break, but however, it kind of feels like they've had enough time now. The international break is the perfect opportunity to bring someone in and get a bit of a head start. And then really, any manager that does come in, they've only got to take charge of about 10 games, I think it is now, before the World Cup comes in. So just picking up points, probably a point per game from now until the World Cup will be enough to keep the head above the water to properly reset. But like I said, it's hard to judge O'Neill. Um just, just because, again, he's inherited the same issue of you know, he can't really decide what the best way to set a team up is at the moment. Uh, and he had two games in the span of a week, fresh off the back of that, with not much time to prepare. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if there's a much more concentrated and clearer plan, because he's had that time now to think about what he wants to bring. He, he does kind of, I think he himself would admit that he's not ready for a full-time job, but football works in weird ways. Um, like I said, he, he's done the right things, especially when speaking to the media uh, and the messaging around it is very much more confident. The main reason why Scott Parker left in the end was constant sniping he was making, uh, inferring that players weren't good enough and that he wasn't being backed well enough in, in the market. Um, he seems to be very much on message and also has united the dressing room. Um, even though there's nothing to say that Scott Parker had lost the dressing room, it just seems to, when we speak to the players, it's very much everyone's confident, everyone's happy at, at the moment. They're not really thinking too much in the future, which in the situation of newly promoted team, you do have to take it game by game. You can't really think too far ahead. Um so, yeah, I think O'Neill, he won't be desperate to impress for his own personal gain. I think he's just desperate to to do well, uh, partly for the club and partly for the players. There seems to be a good connection there. Looking from the outside in, Bournemouth, one of their big issues seems to be conceding goals. They have conceded the most in the Premier League. And I know that's slightly swayed by the fact that they conceded nine in, in one game. Um, but is that something you think Newcastle will, will have be looking to tap into the fact that they do look Bournemouth do look vulnerable when they when they're trying to keep the opposition out. Yeah, it's interesting. Last season they had the best defense of the championship. Um, 
And then against Villa, they looked very well drilled. That new kind of style of play that they're trying to implement um, was kind of a bit of a siege mentality, low block, three central defenders. And um, I think for the first two weeks, um, Lloyd Kelly and Chris Mepham led the league in blocks and clearances. Um, so at times, they can perform well defensively. Um but it seems to be they can't really get that balance of being defensively sound and then being able to produce anything going forward. So the Wolves game, for example, uh, they looked defensively okay, but couldn't produce much going forward. When they tried to turn a screw, try to get something going forward, they looked frail at the back. Um, it's also interesting, after the 9-0, they dropped Mark Travers. He's a young goalkeeper, uh, played very well last season. Wouldn't really say he was at fault for any of the goals in the 9-0 defeat. Uh, but he was taking out a firing line and Neto's coming. Didn't really have anything uh, to p- to pick out from his game against Wolves. However, against uh, Forrest, he almost, uh, well, he dropped the ball. Uh, he came out for a cross and made a complete meal out of it. He looks a bit rusty. So it is very much trying to decide what that best defence is, including the goalkeeper. Marco Senesi is coming, a very good footballer um, in, in the Netherlands. Oh, he plays, but the style of play is very much for a team that can dominate the ball. He's looked a bit shaky coming into, and again, he's been thrown into the deep end. He came, his debut was away at Manchester City with the team of 4-0 down. Uh, then he had played against Arsenal. So it, it is a case of they're trying to find a set of defence, um, but it's not just the defence being good enough. I think they can be. It's getting that balance right between getting the ball forward and producing things at the other end whilst keeping it tight at the back. That's what they're kind of struggling with at the moment. In terms of the player, you think Newcastle have to really look out for the player Newcastle really have to keep quiet. Who would you, uh, who would you pick? At the moment, uh, coming straight off the back of the Forest game would be Solanke. He was, first half, he was quiet um, and he was getting quite frustrated because under Parker and in that four at the back formation, he does tend to drop very deep to get on the ball. Um, and Joe Worrell did very well in the first half, um, was very physical with him, um, did really frustrate Solanke. There was a moment where he not quite lashed out, but he did push off him. Uh, you can tell he was getting a bit frustrated by it. But the second half, he was just so dogged. Um, of course, he's called the equaliser. He led the line, gave them a focal point, which they really needed. But his his work off the ball, I think, was the most notable thing. The, the, the winner came from him harassing a centre-back, winning the ball high up the pitch, uh, setting up the assist. So, I lean towards Solanke at the moment. Um, I think Chris Meppham has started the season quite strongly. Uh, he's, he's a weird one in the sense that last season, Scott Parker was kind of implying that he'd be out the door. Um, he wasn't really playing in the championship. This season, they've had no centre-backs to start the season. He's been thrown into the deep end. And like I said, he's performed relatively well. He's a lucky scored their own goal against Liverpool, which possibly should have been offside. Um, but I wouldn't really say he's been too um, targeted, uh, actually completely opposite. I think he's been their best defender so far. Um, so I think he, he'll have to have a good game if Bournemouth to get anything out of it. But I think in terms of an offensive threat, it would be Dom Solanke. And in terms of looking at the, the actual picture of how the season's gone, obviously, as we've mentioned, Scott Park has left the club. And it's easy, I think, when you're looking from the outside in at Bournemouth to think, oh, well, you know, they're... they're They've had a bad start this season. That they may be certs for relegation, but you look at the Premier League table and they've got exactly the same points 
as Newcastle United, where things, you know, the, the manager is in a good position, everyone's kind of unified up here. And I, it's, I, I, I don't know what the point I'm trying to make it. it. It just seems bizarre because I think if you take away the table, you would automatically assume that Bournemouth have had an awful start the season, but actually seven points, leave that nine 9-0 defeat aside, it, it's probably something that fans would have snapped, snapped your hand off for. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, it's just kind of been a not a roller coaster because that makes it sound so extreme, but it's just been such a, a weird start to the season because after the Villa game, it was such a high. Everyone was really positive. That slowly dissipated at City, but the, the overall atmosphere was kind of you can lose at City. Bournemouth have never won at the Etihad. Uh, I've never beaten City in the Premier League. Um, the Arsenal game was a turning point. There was a perceived disappointment in not attacking uh, and sitting back and being too passive against Arsenal, which you don't understand. Uh, and the Liverpool game, even after the 9-0, it, the fans weren't exactly calling for Parker out because of their performance. They were just getting really frustrated with it, with his comments. Um, but the players keep on saying it. From their first four games, three points is not a bad return. Um Yes, the performances were slightly poor, but again, the quality that they're playing. So it's weird because obviously you have the turmoil of the manager leaving, uh, a lot of just weird emotions regarding that. The, the players, even that appeared to be close with Parker, don't really seem overly fussed by him leaving. It's been quite, uh, they've been quite coy about it. So they seem quite united. Um, and it's been hard to read their mood on that completely. But the mood around the club from the fans is positive again after picking up those points as you say seven points from six games you'd hope over the course of the season if you maintain that it puts you in a very good position um, but like I said I think the fans are getting buoyed by that Forest result not because of the three points just the nature of the, the fight shown uh, especially because they've listened to their previous manager kind of write that off and, and imply that it wasn't there uh, and to see it as a response um in relatively quick succession after the Liverpool game is a good feeling. So it's about kind of capturing that fight and replicating it now. Like I said, not many Bournemouth fans are going to be travelling to Newcastle expecting win, but they will be expecting that same level of commitment and a almost passion that they saw against Forest. In terms of how they'll approach Saturday on, on the pitch, what are you expecting? Can you give our listeners a bit of insight into how you think Bournemouth will, will will come at Newcastle? Will they sit back and try and absorb pressure maybe or will they look to dominate? Just just give a bit of insight if you can. I think probably the first 15, 20 minutes they'll possibly sit back. Again, uh, now that I think about it, I'm, I'm trying to decide. I'm always leaning back to saying they'll be playing a three at the back. But it, it's that big question of trying to decide how, how they play, how they set up and decide to attack it. But I think the first 20 minutes, they haven't been the quickest starters apart from the first game of the season when they took uh, the lead after two minutes. Um, and that, I think, decided the game, really. So, like, like I said, it's really hard to take any sample, any evidence or make a point from the first six games. It's just such a weird sample. Uh, but you'd like to think, especially against Forest, they're okay. They conceded from two set pieces. But the... The, the second goal penalty came from they dropped into that low block, kept on chucking bodies in front of shots. And if you keep on doing that for too long, 
you are inevitably going to give away a penalty for, for handball in those situations, um, even though it, it was perhaps soft. So I'd imagine with kind of the atmosphere of St. James's uh, and the form that Newcastle are in, I would imagine it'll be a slightly more cautious approach again, uh, just to kind of get a feel for the game, see how they're matching up in certain areas. Because in a way, it would almost be kind of matching the Newcastle shape. Um, depends on the wingers. Sometimes they uh, bring the wingers in a bit tighter. But overall, I think it'll be a question of how they get through it. If they find themselves completely um, overpowered in certain areas, I think O'Neill will make changes. But I think for the first half an hour especially, it'll kind of be a cautious, get a feel for the game, see where the danger is and uh, if they can get the ball moving forward. I think what Bournemouth fans will be looking for and Bournemouth themselves, not quite how they get on defensively, but if they can really uh, pressure Newcastle in an attacking way and see if they can create chances because that's what they've really lacked, especially in the first half sort of games. You mentioned there the danger potentially of, of Newcastle. Is there a particular player that you think uh, your colleagues that are coming up will be looking forward to to seeing? Now, we don't know if Alan Maximum will be back. Um, we'll hear from Eddie Howe this morning whether he is fit and, and back. There's a little bit of doubt whether he will be, but Bruno Gumaresh may be back again. That's something Eddie Howe may or may not confirm in his Friday press conference. But Jack, is there a particular player maybe, like I say, if we keep Alan Maximum out of the out of the, 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 the potential answer there, is there a particular player you think Bournemouth will be fearing? Uh, they know Callum Wilson very well. I think Callum Wilson, he's a very good striker. And it's kind of, it's like a cycle with um, English strikers outside the top six where they get their limelight for a bit and then people kind of forget about them and don't give them the flowers as they should. Callum Wilson could be a threat to any team. I think well, he wouldn't mind. Having- unfortunately, Callum Wilson is still missing. He's been, he was, he picked up an injury in that uh, draw with Manchester City and it was said to be two weeks and it's been a tad longer and now there's no confirmation to when he will be back, but we we I, I would very I'd be very very surprised if it would be Saturday because um, I think we'll probably be looking until after the the international break. But but you know Newcastle are very fortunate, Jack, that they've got a, a sixty million pound striker and yes. Alexander Isak. So he's probably um, another one that uh, although Bournemouth fans and, and I mean Newcastle fans don't know him that well, but he certainly looks like a, a man who knows where the back of the net is. Yeah, I was surprised it's taken him this long to get over to the Premier League. Uh, yeah, he's been what, a highly touted talent for some time, hasn't he? Uh, I think, again, maybe it's the right time uh, to be playing a player like that when he's trying to settle, um, even though I think that the postponements probably would have helped with that an extra week on the training ground. Um, but he definitely will be a threat, no matter even if he's not completely familiar. Um uh, but also, I think Trippier right back, Jordan Zamora, he's a young left back. He's still getting to grips with the Premier League. That will be an interesting battle to kind of see that uh, that right flank as well, just because he's been okay. I think Zamora, interestingly, he was probably um, Bournemouth's best player in the first half against Forest. So there's a few eyebrows raised. He came off at the break as they switched formation. So it'll be interesting to see if he starts, to be fair. But like I said, I imagine they've matched Newcastle. It'll be interesting to see how Zamora gets on against Trippier, who is has been one of the best right-backs 
probably in Europe for the past five, six years. So I think Trippier could do some damage potentially. And you maybe might see Ryan Fraser as well down that flank. Newcastle have a few options, but um, you know we know how it all ended for Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth. Didn't end particularly well. He's he started recent games. I think he's got a, a point to prove, not just maybe to, to Bournemouth fans. That might be just me drumming up the drama, but also you know I think you'll be well aware that Newcastle win the market for a wide player. You also have potentially a young Sterling Anderson coming through vying for that spot as well. So. He may um, turn up and, and fingers crossed from Newcastle's point of view, have a, have a very good game against Bournemouth. Um, that leads us on to my final question. Of course, it will be about Eddie Howe, his first game against Bournemouth since he, he left following the relegation from the Premier League a few years back. How uh, is he held by Bournemouth fans? Is it, is it still kind of a, a love affair? Do they hold him in high regard? Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of outpouring of love again for him from Bournemouth fans I don't think that can really ever change um, it's the first time he's ever going to cross paths with the club uh, as a manager <clears throat> um, even though he's he left for Burnley briefly he didn't come back that, as Burnley manager so it's going to be kind of be interesting in that regard in a way it's a shame it's not at the Vitality Stadium that, that reunion um, down in Bournemouth but yeah it, he I don't think there's a bigger figure in the history of Bournemouth, and I don't think Bournemouth fans would disagree with that at all. Um, just the love, the respect, uh, especially when they have no head coach at the moment. I've seen quite a few comments about snatching him and bringing him back down south. But um, yeah, I think Bournemouth fans always have a soft spot for him, and they'll always keep an eye on his progress, um, no matter where he is. It's just a shame for them that it's a in the Premier League, a very good team, um, especially a team that could do some damage. So, yeah, I think uh, one interesting thing I found, like I said, we spoke to Adam Smith midweek, uh, and Adam Smith uh, played under Eddie, was signed by Eddie over a decade ago at Bournemouth. Um, but it seems the message amongst the players is very much, there's no room for sentiment. Um, he's very much focused on the job at hand. So I think that's going to be tough for the players. There's not many there that uh, you label Eddie Howe players through and through. Adam Smith will be one of them. Um, quite a few of them brought to the club by Eddie, but kind of the fringes are now um, stepped up due to relegation, players leaving. But players like Jefferson Lerma, who was a key figure uh, um, under Eddie, and Dom Solanke, who had a lot of faith. Maybe they like to prove a point. Uh, I know Solanke didn't have the best of times directly under Howe, not because of anyone at fault he just struggled initially um his spell of the championship he's a much better player now um but yeah it does very much seem to be no sentiment internally from the players from the coaching staff it is very much focused on the job at hand but i think in the stands there will be a lot of emotion for him and i suspect from a bournemouth fan point of view they'll not be overly surprised at the the relative success he's had at newcastle in such a short space of time coming in saving them from relegation when it looked like they were doomed and heading down the championship. And yes, he's had a bit of money to spend, but I, I always say to people that make that point that you can have all the money in the world, but you've got to go out and buy the right players and have the right manager in charge. And Eddie Howe has proven um, a lot of doubt is wrong, but I guess for those Bournemouth fans who had him in charge for so long, there'll be no surprise at just how well he's doing. Yeah, the, uh, especially, say, about March time, when Newcastle fully clear of it, uh, and kind of just safe and happy. Uh, there was a lot of Bournemouth fans kind of feeling a bit smug. Was, when he first came in, there was 
quite a few doubters on like social media. Uh, but yeah, like from a Bournemouth lens, there's definitely been no doubt of the quality of manager he is. Some some managers um, they kind of thrive at being in at their club, if that makes sense. I kind of understand why people would have that kind of caution over how, considering he went to Burnley, didn't quite work out, and he came back to Bournemouth. Um, but the one thing that everyone says about him outside the club. Um, at Newcastle just how hard he works not just in terms of what he does at a club even when he's out of the game he's still visiting other clubs trying to learn as much as possible um, so I think the Eddie Howe at Newcastle he's a different manager to the one he was at Bournemouth but not not in a negative way for, for sure he's definitely grown he, he's learned uh, from what's happened at Bournemouth and I think that there is a sense of pride for him do you think those months that he had out, the, you know, he went over to Atletico Madrid and, and, and watched coaching sessions and various other clubs, do you think that has been important for his development and growth in a manager and that he needed maybe that kind of reset button? Did he kind of just burn out, you think, at Bournemouth and it all just kind of went wrong at the, at the wrong time, relegation happened, he went out of the job. But do you think do you think that's played a, a big, big part in his... Um, re-emergence. Yeah, I, I think partly part of it is when you have an emotional attachment to a club, I think that not necessarily clouds your judgment, but it can impact how how much it takes its toll on you. I think he, he needed that break to reset just because it's a, clearly a club he's got huge affection for, not, not just as a manager, as a player as well when he came back. Um, during the financial struggles as a player, uh, the, the fans raised money for him to come back. Like he, he is a essential figure of Bournemouth's history, and you can tell he definitely has a lot of affection for the club. I can't imagine how that must mentally feel um, for relegation, and then and then leaving the club. I think he needed not only to learn new ideas, kind of like as you mentioned, going and shadowing other coaches around Europe. But also, I think just just on a personal level, just to kind of reset and go again. I think not that he he won't be attached to Newcastle. He's someone who loves his football. It's, it's a big club with a very passionate fan base. It's hard not to to get involved. I don't think it'll ever be to the same degree as it was at Bournemouth. Um, but I think that sort of semi attachment, if that's the kind of the right term, could help in the sense that sentiment doesn't really get in the way for him. He can focus on the job at hand um, at Bournemouth. Perhaps the emotion sometimes just burnt him out a bit more. So yeah, I think that that break did him well. Obviously, because he, it's like he never really had that break, as he kind of hit the ground running. Yeah, Newcastle United fans very happy with what's happened since Eddie has been in charge. Before I get Jack to give us his score prediction for Saturday's game, just a reminder to you guys listening and watching to please remember to subscribe to whichever platform you are joining us through and leave us a rating and review on the podcast channel as well. So, Jack, how is this Saturday going to go? Uh, I might get in trouble for this. I'm going Newcastle 2, Bournemouth 1. Uh, that's kind of what my head's saying. Uh, but we're going nil nil. I think everyone will be happy with nil nil. Well, probably not Newcastle. I was going to say, yeah, you might be, but that... <laughs> not enough nil nil. Newcastle have drawn um, quite a few games this season already, and I think if they drew against Bournemouth, obviously it's better than losing, but then I think it might get to that stage where you're saying these are too many draws, and I'm not saying the pressure on Eddie Howe, there wouldn't be at all, but I think it would be starting having this discussion where 
you know, if you, if you can't beat Bournemouth, with all due respect, then where are the wins going to come? Uh, but that said, um, on our preview episode yesterday with John Gibson, he was very confident of a win. I was less so. I take a draw of a defeat, but I do think Newcastle probably need to win. So I'm going to go... I'll go, I'm going to go 2-1 to Newcastle and um, hopefully they can pick up three points. But as with football, you never know. Um, Jack, I do appreciate you joining us on the Everything It's Black and White podcast. It's been a pleasure. To you guys watching, head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep a date with all the latest Newcastle United news, including Eddie Howe's press conference later on Friday and coverage of the match through our live blog on Saturday afternoon.